Lord, now by giving the Lord some praise with me right now. Hallelujah. Glory to your name, Jesus. We thank you, God. We thank you, God. I'll say more about it on Sunday, but one of the greatest characteristics that you can develop in your walk with God is recognition. It's recognizing that God is either doing something right now or He's about to do something. And being able to recognize that will help you capitalize when it does happen. So many people arrive to the party late and they hear the testimonies and they hear about what God did. By the time they recognize it and see it and they want to act, God's already moving somewhere else. The Bible talks about the angel of the Lord would trouble the waters and the first one to get in the water would always be healed. Zacchaeus, blind Bartimaeus, they had recognition. He may not ever come through here again. I'm going to do what I need to do. I want to tell you God is doing something right now in the church. In the church. Be spiritually sensitive enough and have the recognition to know God is doing it and I want to be a part of it. Don't delay. Get in the middle of what God is doing and let Him touch you. God bless you. You may be seated. So good to see each of you here on this Wednesday night. How many lost power last night? There was a few of you that lost power. It was quite a mighty wind was blowing over in our neck of the woods. And uh, so thankfully that's over. Generally, for whatever reason, every weather incident that seems to happen happens on a Sunday or a Wednesday. But in this case, this was the rare instance when uh, it came a night early. So we're thankful for that. We are starting a brand new series tonight, one of which I'm very excited about, entitled God is Faithful. How many have ever experienced the faithfulness of God? And we will be looking at the faithfulness of God in a few different instances in the Bible, some of which are rarely referenced and are not often preached about and not often talked about. And if I were, even in our lesson tonight, to put you on the spot and ask you to narrate this particular story, I seriously doubt many of you would be able to go through the story with much detail just simply because it's rarely referenced and uh, which is exciting because there's much in there that we can learn from tonight relative to the faithfulness of God. Turn in your Bibles if you would to Ruth chapter 2 Ruth chapter 2, and we're going to read a few passages of Scripture tonight just for some context. We don't always do that, but simply because we are in a book that is not looked at like Psalms, Proverbs, Acts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Uh, we want to remind ourselves of some of the context. Ruth chapter 2, verse 11, and we will read through verse 13. And Boaz answered and said unto her, It hath fully been showed me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law, 
since the death of thine husband, and how thou hast left thy father and thy mother and the land of thy nativity, and art come into the people which thou knewest not heretofore. The Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. Then she said, Let me find favor in thy sight, my Lord, for that thou hast comforted me, and for that thou hast spoken friendly unto thy handmaid, though I be not like unto one of thy handmaidens. Chapter 3, verse 8. And it came to pass at midnight that the man was afraid and turned himself, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, Who art thou? And she answered, I am Ruth thy handmaid. Spread therefore thy skirt over thy handmaid, for thou art a kinsman. And he said, Blessed be thou of the Lord my daughter, for thou hast showed more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning. Inasmuch as thou followest not young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, fear not, I will do to thee all that thou requirest. For all the city of my people doth know thou art a virtuous woman. And now it is true that I am thy near kinsman, howbeit there is kinsman nearer than I. Tarry this night, and it shall be in the morning that if he will perform unto thee part of kinsmen, will then let him do the kinsman's part. But if he will do the part of kinsman to thee, then I will do the part of the kinsman to thee, as the Lord liveth, lie down unto the morning. Verse 14, and she lay at his feet until the morning, and she rose up before one could know another. And he said, let it not be known that a woman came into the floor. Chapter 4, verse 9, we will continue the story and bring a little more clarity to it. A little further down, verse 9 of chapter 4, And Boaz said unto the elders and unto all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought all that Elimelech and all who was Chileans and Mahalans of Navami. Moreover, Ruth the Moabites, the wife of Malon, have I purchased to be my wife to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance. The name of the dead be not cut off from among his brethren from the gate. Of his place, you are witnesses this day. And all the people that were in the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. The Lord maketh the woman that has come into thine house like Rachel and like Leah, which two did build the house of Israel and do worthily into Ephratah, the famous in Bethlehem. Final verse. And let thy house. Be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bare Judah of the seed which the Lord shall give thee of this young woman. Tonight, we are going to be talking about Ruth. Ruth and the Redeemer. Ruth and the Redeemer. Our particular passage I want us to hone in on tonight is verse 11. And now, my daughter, fear not. I will do to thee all that thou requirest, for all the city of my people doth know thou art a virtuous woman. The truth about God tonight is that God cares about every need in our lives. We often think about God being aware of calamities and 
catastrophes and crises in our life. But I want to assure you tonight that God is no less aware of things that you may feel that are minor in your life. Minor things that you may not have even mentioned to someone else or others that are not aware of. But I want to tell you today, God is aware of every need that is in your life. And so you don't need to talk to God only when you have calamity and crisis and uh, the world's coming to an end. You can talk to Him about your headache. You can talk to Him about your boss man. You can talk to Him about stress or anxiety. You should have the kind of relationship with God that you trust Him with every need that is in your life. And the truth for us is, I will share God's love with others that are in need. Others that are in need. It was a day like many others in a large hospital food court near a major university. A distraught man sat at one of the tables, and he was surrounded by numerous other people and other popular restaurants. Surprisingly enough, various guns and ammunition rested on the table as the distraught man considered his next move. All around him, people hustled and bustled. Doctors and nurses grabbed a quick bite before returning back to their areas. Families sought comfort food and challenging situations were all around them. Some assisted their spouses, others their elderly parents, and still others their children. And despite the seemingly obvious threat to everyone in the vicinity, surprisingly, no one noticed this agitated man and his collection of weapons. A psychological battle continued in this war-torn mind. Families and co-workers chatted. Trays slammed onto tables and Loudspeaker announcements tried to catch someone's attention. Whether it was the noise of the conversation, all of the other actions and interactions would continue. One would not know. For the man, the situation felt like intense humidity before a fierce storm. This agitated and very disturbed man, it felt like a thunderous downpour full of lightnings in his own mind. And it seemed like what was to happen next was inevitable. For the oblivious people, the potential attack would be like an earthquake or a tsunami. No one would see it coming until it was too late. And yet, providentially, someone noticed the man and his table full of weapons. The individual approached the distressed man calmly and began talking to him, doing everything to avoid escalating a situation ripe for calamity that could come to fruition and immediately rot into the story for the evening news. This individual tried to help the man rather than judge him. The two talked. The situation took a turn for the better. The man needed mental, emotional, and spiritual help. The advocate who stood in the gap and made up the hedge saved many lives that day, including the life of the would-be assassin. The advocate succeeded 
because he met tension with tenderness. He met self-hate with brotherly love. And he met a heartache with a heartfelt listening ear. Many lives were saved due to the discernment and the recognition of someone who did not miss the cue to intercede for a person in need. When we fail to recognize others in need, we open the world up to more sin, heartbreak, and calamity. While we recognize that everyone should be responsible for his or her own actions, we cannot deny the call to be a community of believers, a church, a church family who care about fellow saints, who love our neighbors as we love ourselves, and hopefully we can recognize and see opportunities to meet and care for the needs of others. God help us if we get so wrapped up in our own circumstances and our own needs and our own calamities that we forget why we are here in the first place. And that is to be a help to those that are hurting. To be that healing balm for a world that is hurting so bad. Can I tell you that the answer to the world hurting, God's answer for that is the church. When someone out there right now is begging God to help them, do you know what the answer to that prayer is? It's you. When the drug addicts out there saying, God, if you will help me, I'll get off these drugs. You know what the answer to that prayer is? The church. When there's someone out there that is begging and pleading God who's distraught, who's suicidal, who's at the end of the road, and they are praying to a God they may not even know. It may be the first time they have prayed ever or in years. God, would you just send somebody? Would you just answer my prayer? Do you know what the answer to that prayer is? You and me. That's the answer. And so we answer that prayer by recognizing those that are in need. And it's imperative that we are paying attention on a daily basis to those who may be hurting. Many years ago, when we first began our church, it was in Anger. And I may have told this story a few times. I don't know. You get my age. You tell stories you can't even remember you told them before. And people like you who are so kind just nod your head like you've never heard them. And I appreciate that. But I do the same thing for you. Many years ago, I was knocking on some doors in Anger, and uh, I knocked on a door, and to be honest with you, I was just kind of going through the motions. I was just knocking on doors. It was a typical Saturday. Uh, back in the day, we'd done that every Saturday, and so knocked on the door, and as soon as the door opened, there was a young man standing there who looked somewhat distraught. I told him where I was from. I told him I was there to invite him to church and I asked him can I help you pray for anything today and he burst out in tears and he turned behind him and his wife was sitting on the couch and she burst out in tears he said would you step into my home just for a minute I've got something to tell you I said sure I stepped into their house and he said my wife and I was sitting on that couch five minutes ago we held hands and we prayed God would you send someone to our home right now to pray for us we need an answer we need help from God he said we had just opened our eyes and I stood up when you knocked on the door 
Can I tell you that the answer to the, what the world is searching for and looking for is you. We got to be sensitive. We've got to be aware. We've got to be listening and understanding that we've got a world that's hurting and God's depending on us to recognize that. Like Ruth, we must not miss our cue to do the right thing. Although conventional wisdom said that she should leave a bitter old woman and go back to her people. Ruth's love and care for Naomi compelled her to act. Ruth believed that a bitter Naomi could once again live up to her name to be pleasant. Ruth shared God's love with Naomi even though she knew very little about Naomi's God. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to be some great spiritual savant. You don't have to have... uh, you know, great giftings or abilities. Uh, All you got to have is compassion. You need to be full of the Holy Ghost and have compassion, and you can make a difference in this world, right? And so we learn through the book of Ruth how this plays out. The book of Ruth begins with famine, death, and failure. Not a very exciting opening way or opening chapter, but... It does take a radical turn, and it ends not with famine, death, and failure, but fullness, life, and blessing. The narrative reveals that even when we face our most difficult circumstances, God demonstrates care for all the needs in our life. No matter what happens, no matter what decisions we make, I want to tell you, just as we sing about it tonight, God can still intervene. It's not over until God says it's over, right? He's the Alpha, and He's the Omega. We so often believe that He can begin something and He can start something, but we like to say when it's over. Well, that's it. I should have known. It's over. I can tell you right now, that's the end of it. When we do that, then we basically say to God, I am being God, and I'm saying it's over. I'm finishing it. I'm shutting the door. But I want to challenge you today to believe God even when it seems like there is no reason for hope. Don't give up on that person. Don't give up on that situation. Don't give up on that circumstance. You let God be God. And He will determine when the omega happens and when the finish is there. It's not over till God says it's over. He can still intervene. The power of God's love can profoundly change any situation. Any situation can make people unrecognizable to who they were a few years ago. Some of you rascals out there were so mean, nobody even liked you. Right? Ornery, cynical, bad attitude, and now everybody in the church loves you. It's amazing what God's love can do. Don't give up on somebody. Don't give up on circumstances and situations. God's love can change. You can change anybody. Sister White, God love her, was one of the most incredible transformations that I have ever seen in a person. Um, And and her and I talked about this and laughed about it many times. I referenced it in her funeral. But uh, when I first met Sister White, she had one of the most unpleasant personalities I'd ever met. And I thought, my Lord, I I thought I liked everybody. I thought I could get along with everybody. I'm not sure me and Sister White are going to be able to get along. And... uh, but through the years, I've I seen God do an incredible work in her life. 
and she she grew up in, in a kind of a, a hard scrabble fashion, and she she learned to to be hard and tough, and to to do whatever it uh, it took to get by, and she was going to survive. And I mean, and she and you could drop her anywhere on the world, she was going to be all right. You could just drop her off, and she's going to survive. She had what it took. She was she it was grit, full of grit. But in all that grit, sometimes there wasn't a lot of grace. And, but through the years, I've seen God soften her, and I've seen her personality, and I've seen uh, her approach to people. I've seen it soften. It was, and we laughed so much, she became such a grandmotherly figure in our church, and I never would have dreamed that when I first met her. But God's love has a way of changing people. And when we give up and throw the towel in on people and say they can never change and they'll always be like that, then you are eliminating what God can do. And you are saying God's not able, but you have got to believe and know that God can intervene and change any situation and change anyone. Amen? So there's still hope for your mother-in-law. And hopefully your mother in laws not here and you just laughed. <laughs> the book of Ruth starts off that way, but it doesn't end that way. The story starts in the days of the judges with a man named Elimelech. And I'll probably say that different every time I say it. And his family, they were dealing with a famine in Bethlehem. And it was in a city whose name means house of bread. Now, Elimelech chose to journey to Moab because he heard there was food in that country. Now, while some have criticized this man for leaving the house of bread, we cannot ignore the fact that there were other men in the Old Testament who left the promised land during times of famine as well. Dearth in the days of Abraham and Sarah sent them to Egypt. Isaac and Rebekah stayed in Gerar during the famine. And the entire family of Israel moved to Egypt because the Lord sent Joseph ahead of them to save the world from famine. So this was common. This had happened before. Elimelech had a good reason and a precedence for his choice to leave. Plus, his name may also prove to be telling because Elimelech's name means my God is king. In the days of judges where there was no king and everyone did what was right in their own eyes, judges said, and we are living in that day and hour again where everyone is doing right in their own eyes. They get to interpret what morality means. That was going on during this time. This man, Elimelech, recognized the sovereignty of God. I don't get to do what I want to do. I do what God wants me to do. God is the sovereign king. So he recognized that. And since the Israelites had behaved terribly in the days of Judges, perhaps Elimelech thought Moab would be a better place for his family. And despite seemingly being a good man, Elimelech proved, this decision proved to be very, very fatal. He would leave his wife Naomi with a heavily burdened heart. And although life seemed good in Moab at first, when her two sons found wives, Naomi originally thought Moab was a good, a good move. We left famine. We left the house of bread. We come to Moab because there's famine in the land. My two sons found wonderful wives. Everything's looking up. But it wasn't long that Naomi soon faced devastation when she seen not only her husband die, but both of her boys die as well. 
She decided to leave Moab, traveling down the heartbreak road in hope of finding some comfort and solace back in her homeland. However, she had few prospects for the future. You must be reminded tonight that as a widow so long gone from home, she could expect some help from her relatives. But the goodness of life had faded and passed away, and all of her hope, her dreams, her joy, everything that brought her joy, her two sons and her husband, were now buried in tombs. Naomi expressed despair, as you might imagine. She expressed destitution to her two daughter-in-laws, Ruth and Orpah. Naomi informed them she had no more children in her womb, nor the ability to bear them, sounding as though she was kind of out of her mind and crazed in a way. She further informed them that even if she could have sons, these two women could not wait for them until they grew up. Orpah understood the message. She got it. She said, I'm out of here, and she left. She was the one daughter-in-law. Orpah had likely only followed her mother-in-law out of a sense of duty and responsibility. And with each step, she looked for a way out of her situation. She took the convenient route. She ignored what was going on. She overlooked the current need and the plight. She done what many of us will often do when we see someone in need. It's too awkward. It's too messy. I don't want to get involved. I've got my own problems. I got to worry about myself. And so oftentimes we turn away. We don't want to be involved in that. And that was the approach that Orpah took. Perhaps she wanted to find the next right time to speak up and say goodbye to Naomi so she could return home. Finally, Naomi broke the silence and her reprieve and said, you can leave. Orpah saw her cue and she headed for the exit. And so what we have left is we've got Naomi there, husband dead, sons are dead, one daughter-in-law, Orpah, has taken off, and she is basically left there with her one daughter-in-law, Ruth. Ruth, however, missed Naomi's very human cue. But in doing so, she was in perfect sync with the divine cue. What do you mean by that, Pastor? It's obvious by what we read in Scripture that Naomi was probably not a very pleasant person to be around at that time. And you can't blame her. She's lost her husband, she's lost her sons. One of her daughter-in-laws, who she obviously was very close to, had also left. And so this was not the most pleasant person to be around all of the time. And yet Ruth refused to take the easy way out. She didn't take the human cue. She didn't do what was easy. She did not return with Orpah, even though convention and common wisdom would dictate she go back to Moab. Journeying and staying with Naomi would make her more of a burden than an asset, it would seem, but she recognized what was going on. You see, a widow like Naomi could find kinfolk to assist her. But if Ruth accompanied her, the relatives would assume that Ruth was the one taking care of her. And at the time, Ruth's decision didn't seem to make a lot of sense because maybe Naomi would be better off on her own. 
Maybe if I just left her, then other people would take care of her. But there was something inside the heart of Ruth that knew God was up to something. I'm not giving up on her. I'm not turning around and walking away on her. I I have compassion, and I love her. And so, nevertheless, Ruth, the hero of our story tonight, remains steadfast, refusing to leave her mother-in-law. She made many promises that were famous in Ruth, we read them in Ruth 1, 16 through 17. Most tellingly, she vowed that Naomi's God would be her God. Brethren, if you got that, I wasn't going to read that, but that, that's a powerful passage of Scripture. Verse 16, she said, Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, to return from following after thee, for whither thou goest, I will go where thou lodgest, I will lodge, thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Ruth said, I'm not walking out on you. I'm not turning my back and leaving you. Your God's going to be my God. Where you lodge, I'm going to lodge. Where you go, I'm going to go. So should we be as the people of God to those that are in need. I'm going to be here for you. If you call, I'm going to answer the phone. If you need something, I'm going to be here to pray for you. If you're you're needing help, I'm going to be here with all means that I possibly can. I want to be there for you. And that's what she told her mother-in-law. I'm going to be there. We must take advantage of the opportunities to care for those that are hurting. On many occasions, they may lash out at us. You've heard me say it before, hurting people, they hurt people, don't they? And people that are in need, people that are hurting, people that are addicted, people that have substance abuse problems, people that are going through traumatic situations, they're not always the most pleasant people to be around. They're not people you just want to go hang out with at the coffee shop, right? Because that's easy. Hanging out with people that ain't got problems and you guys can just slap backs and tell jokes and have fun, that's great. But hurting people can be difficult to be around. They'll lash out at you, right? They'll say ugly things to you, mean things to you, hurtful things to you. But we have to look past that and understand that they need help. They need prayer, and we are the one that God has called to be there. I'm not saying you got to be anybody's doormat. I'm not saying you got to be anybody's punching bag. But I want to tell you, oftentimes uh, we do not give God the opportunity uh, to help people because we don't want it to be uncomfortable, and we don't want to be put out, and we don't want to be in a situation where it costs us something. But to help people, it's going to cost you something, right? Come on, somebody. We're not going to reach our city if we're worried about being inconvenienced. We're going to reach those who are hurting if we're worried about being put out. If we're so consumed about our circumstances and our situations, God has not called us to close in the four walls and slap each other on the back and take care of one another. He has called us to be a light and a lighthouse to those that are in a storm, who are on the rocks, who are in trouble. That's what the church is there for. And if it gets so uncomfortable that we don't want to do that, let's shut the thing down. That's why we're here. 
If we don't want to deal with people's problems and we don't want to get our hands dirty and we don't want to get in the mess because we've got our little church now and we've got our little clubs and we've got our little groups and we don't want to mess with that, let's shut the thing down and do something else. We are a hospital. We are not a resort. We are not a museum. We are not a Kiwanis club. We are a hospital. And a hospital is going to see blood and guts and gore and the church is going to have to deal with that too. Right? So I sense a little resistance. Maybe I just should preach on that a little while. Come on, somebody. When we were a small church, we'd help anybody walk in the door, man. If we could, we'll pray for you. We'll help you. We'll do whatever we can. You know, and I don't mean always financial assistance. That's usually the last thing they need. Right? The church is not a bank. It's not a financial institution. You can, you know, we do what we can. But at the end of the day, that is not what people are needing. Millionaires are going to go to hell. What people need is a church that will love them and care for them and pray for them and guide them in their spiritual journey to God. And we cannot, even as we grow as a church, lose that desire and that compassion for people that are hurting. Despite their attempts to send us away, we must not miss our cue to help them. We must look beyond their words and follow the leading of the Holy Ghost. God may have a greater plan, one not dictated by their words of despondency. If I let everybody that ever wanted to give up actually give up, there wouldn't be nobody here. Sometimes you got to say, I know you feel like giving up, but you got to get up and keep going. Right? And here, Naomi, she wanted to give up. She was despondent. She was talking out of her head. And Ruth said, don't you worry about it. I'm going to be here. I'm going to lodge where you lodge. Your God's going to be my God. I'm right here before you. This ain't the end of the story. And that's who we've got to be for people. Got to be there for them. And so Ruth was on cue in her decision to accompany Naomi to Bethlehem. The Lord put her on a divine trajectory to give Naomi what she needed. And although Naomi did not have a son to give Ruth, Ruth could give Naomi another son. When someone died in Israel, a family member could raise up a child that counted as their own child. God had orchestrated an ingenious plan that turned Naomi's words of nonsense about bearing sons into a new plan. It was almost like God said, you said it couldn't happen, but I'm going to do exactly what you said couldn't happen. I'm going to make it happen. Because of Ruth... Naomi would soon hold a child that counted as her own. God showed care for every need in Naomi's life. While she might have thought she just needed sustenance and she just needed money or she just needed monetary help, the Lord knew she needed much more and gave her the desires of her heart. So Ruth started down the path by going to glean in a field. She went to work, seeking food for her mother-in-law and herself. Now we see the beauty of God's plan in the narrator's notes about Ruth when he stated that her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz, who was a kindred of Elimelech. Now as we read this line, we can almost see the narrator winking knowingly to the reader. Because far being from something that just so happened, 
We talked about this past weekend, or coincidence, or it just kind of happenstance. The Lord had intentionally and strategically placed Ruth in Boaz's view and under his protection. Now, Ruth could have worked in any field. She could have gotten a job working in any field out there. But God knew exactly what he was doing when he placed Ruth in the field of Boaz. Can I tell you, when you help take care of other people, God will help take care of you. Because Ruth was trying to take care of Naomi, and she was concerned, and she had compassion, and she was looking out for somebody else when she could have done like Orpah and took off and worried about herself because she was trying to help somebody else. God stepped in and said, you know what? I got a plan for you. And he placed Ruth in the field of a man that would eventually give them everything that they needed. She could have worked anywhere. And I tell you, God knows exactly where you're at. He knows exactly what you're going through. And you fretting and you worrying and you're losing your mind about, you know, what's going to happen, how it's going to turn out, what's going to be the end result. If you'll just focus on what God has called you to focus on, you keep helping people, praying for people, doing what God has called you to do. I promise you, God's going to put you in the right field. He's going to put you in the right situation. He's going to put you in the right way, in the right path, send you through the right door. And at the end of the day, you'll be able to say, you know what? I didn't know it in the middle of it, but I can see now God was working through the whole situation. Somebody say, trust God. Trust God. You know, one of the greatest ways you can trust God is just keep doing what God's called you to do. Keep doing what God has called you to do. Not get distracted by your problems and situations and staying all night worrying about it. Ruth said, you know what? I'm going to just work in this field. I'm going to take care of my mother-in-law and I'll leave the rest up to God. And God worked it out. And so... The Lord had intentionally placed her where he placed her. Boaz ensured Ruth had plenty of food and water as she worked. In fact, it went beyond the requirement of the Torah that allowed the poor to glean the corners of the field. According to the Torah, as outlined in Leviticus, the 23rd chapter, the, the poor were allowed to go to the corners of every field and they could glean and they could pick from certain the corners of all the field. And that's how they would help take care of the poor. Ingenious plan, actually. But for Ruth, when Boaz allowed her to work in the field, it was much more than that. It wasn't you could just have the corners of the field like all of the other poor. In fact, he commanded his workers to allow handfuls of purpose to fall to her. <laughs> God is incredible. God placed Ruth, who was trying to take care of Naomi, her mother-in-law, who had lost her sons and husband, and God placed her in the perfect field for a man that said, you know what, I don't know why right now, but I'm going to look out for this woman. And he would go to his workers and say, hey, don't make a big deal about it. But you see that woman back there? Every few minutes, just drop a big old handful of barley or a big old handful of wheat so she can pick it up. And it, the Bible calls it handfuls on purpose. <laughs> that was God providing a means 
for a woman that was trying to do what was right, who would later be described as a virtuous woman. And so, these handfuls of purpose was laid out. Some hirelings worked for Boaz might have thought they could take advantage of a foreign woman. But Boaz ensured her safety. Boaz acted the way he did because he was a man of standing, a man of substance. The description spoke of his wealth. Boaz, however, proved that the statement also revealed his character. His character. Sometimes we have to put our faith in action. Put our faith in action. When we have followed all the cues of the Lord, we must put our faith in action. As we watch the Lord place us in favorable situations, we must simply understand that we cannot just rely on the Almighty to do all the work. Well, Lord, if you'll just send somebody my way, I'll witness to them. What, you want them to knock on your door? <laughs> what, do you want them to interrupt your day? Right? We have to understand that faith is action. God, I'm going to demonstrate my faith by my works. I'm going to actually go to somebody. I'm actually going to, to take action. And I'm going to show my faith by acting. We must engage our faith by taking action. We must apply for that promotion. We must seek ministry opportunities. We must talk to those who can help us fulfill our dreams. Faith Listen to pastor. It's not a passive concept. Faith must be put into action. You can say, well, I just want to have faith in God. Well, let me just tell you something. Faith in God is getting to work. Right? Faith in God is not just sitting there expecting God to do everything for you. You try that next week, I'm going to sit at home and just pray that God pay all my bills. Right? I'm going to just say, now, can God do it? But faith says, you know what? I'm going to do my part, and I'm going to demonstrate my faith by taking that step, and by me demonstrating that faith, God will act and do His part, and we'll meet in the middle, and God can help me and see me and have my needs provided. And so Ruth, she did what she could do. She went to work. Faith is not a passive concept. Faith must be put into action. You would, brother, show that video tonight for a few minutes and then we'll close out. In both Testaments, the Holy Bible reveals God's tender concern for those who suffer. Whether they are captives of poverty, orphans, or widows, God yearns to deliver them from emotional and physical pain. One of his most notable means of doing this is the concept of the kinsman redeemer. This person is a male who has the privilege and responsibility to act on behalf of a relative who is in trouble, danger, or in need. The Hebrew term for kinsman redeemer designates someone who delivers or rescues or redeems property or a person. One of the clearest examples of this is seen in the book of Ruth, where the kinsman redeemer is Boaz. The book of Ruth is a story of love, devotion, and redemption from the days of the judges. 
Ruth was a Moabite woman who forsook her pagan heritage to cling to the Israelites and their God. Because of her faith, the true God gave Ruth a new husband, Boaz, a son, Obed, and a position in the lineage of David and Christ. She became the great-grandmother of David. Her name means friendship. The story of Ruth and Boaz began when Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi, returned to Bethlehem from Moab, where they had been living. Naomi's husband, Elimelech, had died, as had his uh, son. The story of Ruth and Boaz began when Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi, returned to Bethlehem from Moab, where they had been living. Naomi's husband, Elimelech, had died, as had Malone, one of Elimelech's and Naomi's two sons. Malone had married Ruth, so Naomi and Ruth were both widows. Kilion, also a son of Elimelech and Naomi, had married another Moabitess, Orpah. Kilion also had died, but the book of Ruth is not so much concerned about this event. The death of Naomi's husband and sons left her and Ruth without male support or protection. But Boaz, a wealthy relative of Naomi, took Ruth as his wife, resulting in the birth of Obed, the grandfather of David and forefather of Jesus. The New Testament offers Christ as an example of a kinsman redeemer. According to Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 11, he is our brother. He redeems us because of our great need, one that only he can fill. The book of Ruth offers a beautiful and poignant picture of the needy supplicant unable to rescue herself, requesting of the kinsman redeemer that he cover her with his protection and make her his wife. Likewise, our Lord Jesus Christ bought us for himself out of our destitution, made us his beloved bride, and blessed us for all generations. He is the true kinsman redeemer of all who call on him in faith. Everybody say amen. Stand with me like Boaz, the kinsman redeemer in our story tonight. We must step out and seek to redeem others. When you think of the lineage of Christ and how it can be traced back to this woman working in the field and her kinsman redeemer, Boaz, it is a sobering thought to think that we could, with compassion and love, start a new generation serving God. Sometimes we may think it's someone else's responsibility. There may be those who appear to be more gifted than we are. Yet, the Lord has called all of us to minister to those in need. We must do our part to share God's love, not knowing who God has placed in our life. There may be a Ruth gleaning in your field, in your circle, and you may know them right now. Someone that's hurting, someone that's in need, they may be in your sphere of influence right now, and you may not even be aware of it. Let us be sensitive and aware and recognize when God places these people in our life. And we like, we like the kinsman redeemer, Boaz, can help them. And maybe God would start something wonderful in their life. Let's lift our hands and say, God, help us to be 
discern. Help us, God, to recognize. Help us to be sensitive to those that are in our life that may be in need. God, grant us compassion and love and sensitivity, Lord, to those who are in our life that may be hurting. Let us not get so caught up in our own situations, get so distracted by our own problems and dilemmas that we, God, do not see and do not recognize those you have placed in our life. God, for us to help and to love and to lead. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody say amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here tonight. Look forward to seeing you on Sunday. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.